Hi, and welcome to episode eight of Still Updating. If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably safe to assume that you're a human being and therefore don't have an exoskeleton. Well, technology moves quickly, and today's guest is here to tell you that you no longer have to accept a soft shell defeat. I'm excited to share my interview with Megan Canelli, head of global marketing at German Bionic, a European firm that develops and manufactures smart exoskeletons that help frontline workers move more efficiently and safely in their daily work. Yes, this is a conversation about how cool exoskeletons are, but it's also a look behind the scenes at an innovative robotics company that's harnessing the power of data and AI to make human lives a little bit better. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to Still Updating. This show is an open-ended exploration about data, AI, and how modern businesses are using technology to compete in the marketplace. Still Updating is brought to you by Endeavor Labs. By no coincidence, I, Nathan Gould, am both the founder of Endeavor Labs and the host of this podcast. Endeavor Labs is a data and AI-focused consultancy that helps businesses become smarter, faster, and leaner by leveling up their data game. With that said, let's get to the show. All right, we're live with Megan Kimmelly. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So Megan is joining us from German Bionic. Megan, why don't you start with a quick introduction of yourself and also a little bit of what German Bionic does? Sure. So Megan Canelli, the head of global marketing here at German Bionic. German Bionic develops smart wearable tools, specifically exoskeletons that focus on supporting and protectors, protecting users specifically on their backs when they're having to do repetitive, heavy lifts, a lot of manual labor logistics in warehouses and even recently more so in the healthcare industry for patient care, having to move them and lift them from the bed to the chair and vice versa. So yeah, just really excited to be getting the word out about German Bionic and that we're in plenty of use cases uh, throughout the globe. Cool. So yeah, I wanted to, to talk to you because when I heard the term smart exoskeleton, I thought most of the guests I've had on the show have been, we've been talking about, about software and, and data, and there's certainly a software and data aspect to what you're doing, but you're also doing something sort of physical in the real world that's also a little bit futuristic sounding. So maybe we could start with the story of German Bionic, right? How, how did you all start and what, what was the market opportunity that you initially saw and how did that lead to what you're marketing today? Yeah, Absolutely. So German Bionic got founded about seven, eight years ago over in Germany. It was actually a research project that was funded by Germany to address the issue of muscular skeletal issues in the workplace. And so that's really how the first, very first exoskeleton that we built got born, if you will. And from there, that was one of our founders that was part of the research project. Actually, our CEO right now, Armin, is his cousin. And Armin brings a software background to him. So he saw the exoskeleton, really saw the interest that it was getting after the project and said, hey, I think this is something that could actually be sold for um, commercial use. And with both minds, the hardware and the software sort of coming together, the smart exoskeleton got built. And we're right now on our sixth generation But yeah, when you think about exoskeletons, I think it's important to know the different categories. So from a very like first perspective, you have rehabilitation exoskeletons, which are to help people that have already had an injury to be able to walk again or be able to function. 
our side of the exoskeleton is more of a preventative side. So we want to be able to aid and support the user before to hopefully mitigate those injuries. And then when you're looking at that side of it, where we're in the mitigation piece of it, there's different kinds of exoskeletons. So there's passive systems, and active systems. So passive systems are using things like strings and pulleys, the user's own energy to be able to give them more like force and power and support. We are an active exoskeleton that uses motors and battery power. So that's giving you the support that the passive system is giving you, but it's giving you more power. And the motors are helping to take more of that weight compensation off of the back. And so that's kind of where we stand. And then when we say smart exoskeleton, that's kind of like a new category of it where it's bringing in the data element and being able to collect the data from the exoskeleton, be able to analyze it and sort of present the findings. So we kind of segment it into those kind of categories. So probably I'm, I'm guessing that the best way to learn what it's like to wear one of these things is to actually put one on. But what what is it like to wear one of these things? It's very cool. I will say there's almost like a hesitation, I think, when people first come and try either a show or like when I first put it on, you don't know what to expect, right? Like it's something that, like you said, futuristic, but it's really comfortable. And one thing I always like to just sort of warn people is here's this hesitation because I think they think that the exoskeleton is going to be moving you and like moving your body without you like wanting it to. But what's nice about the exoskeleton is it's following your movement. So there's sensors in there. There's a gyroscope in the back that's basically measuring your relativity to the ground. So the device is never going to pull you and torque you in a situation that you don't allow it to. So the device is basically following your movement. So if you go to bend down and come back up, the device is following that motion of you ascend into that right position. So if you were to stop halfway, the device is going to stop. So I think like once people understand that sort of element of it, they're a little bit more receptive to like, okay, this is something that I want to try. We basically put it on like a backpack. If you've ever worn like a hiking backpack where you felt it on your hips and the weight sort of sits on your hips, it's very similar to that feeling. So you have your waist belt that you clip in. You have almost like a harness or like a vest. So you would just put it on like a vest up here. And then there's leg attachments that act as an additional anchor point for the device. So really three main connections, the legs, the hips, and the vest attack and kind of sits like a backpack there's no additional weight that gets pushed up on your shoulders like i said the, the hips is really where the additional weight that you're um, providing is sitting and what's nice about the exoskeleton is not only is it helping to support the weight of the box or whatever you're picking it's also helping to move your own body weight and the additional weight of the device back so not only are you getting the compensation for what you're wearing, but also for your own physical mass. Got it. And so what is the degree of magnification or amplification that sort of human strength gets with this thing? I sure. imagine it's not, you can, you know, jump over buildings, but. Yeah, we're not know. Iron Man level just, <laughs> yeah. but we support about 30 kilograms or 66 pounds of weight compensation for lift. Okay. So that's an extra you said 66 pounds that you that a, a, an average human wearing this thing would be able to kind of yeah lift we that. don't necessarily suggest that you lift more than you naturally could because the device is really about the preventative um, aspects not not about the strength yes <laughs> so people aren't going to the gym it makes with this it thing. easy it makes okay. it easier so in theory 
yeah, you're going to be able to be a little bit stronger, but we don't want to promote like that piece of it. We want the device is really keeping people safe. So we say it's making it easier and safer to lift the load that you naturally would be. And just changing gears a bit, what's smart about the the smart exoskeleton? Where where does intelligence kind of factor into Yeah, the so aside from the data element, of it, um, we do use AI capabilities in there too. And that's used in a couple different functions now, but we're still developing some other ones down the line. But from a basic like drive function ability, the AI component is basically learning from the user every time. So what's nice about the device is it can be shared amongst different users. Everyone has their own pin. We do have different sizes for the vest that we talked about and the leg straps. So every user can have their own of those and you can grab the device. It can be shared amongst different workers. So when you put your pin in, not only is it recognizing your settings and you have programmed it to be comfortable for your sort of comfortability, I guess, for lack of a better word, but the pin is also learning and the AI is also learning because everyone moves in a little bit of a different way. Everyone has a little bit of a different torque when they're going to bend down and pick up. So every time you're wearing the device, the device is adapting and changing some of those drives to be able to support you better. Yeah. And it's a little bit smarter than my <laughs> intelligence level, but that's basically how it's described to me is like every time you're wearing it, the device is learning from you. And it's doing so to make it more comfortable for you to wear it, making it more supportive and just easier for the next time. And then from the other side of it, it is kind of like the data element and the wearer together. The AI is also learning from your habits and it's starting to create trends. With that information, we can start to trigger to unergonomic behaviors. So let's say you're starting to twist a lot in your motions or starting to notice different fatigue levels what it can do is it can trigger some sort of alert not an annoying alert but like on a little uh, screen to say now might be a good time to take a break we're starting to notice that you're having poor habits something's going on now seems like a good time to mitigate that risk even further and address the issue like sort of head on so those are the types of things that we can also use ai for and we're still developing and trying to learn and work with the users to see like what else would be helpful from that perspective without being annoying, like, you know, those like posture alarms that you buzz constantly if you're not mm -hmm. having the right posture. That's not what we want to do. We want to have notifications are directly impacting and mitigating risk versus being like annoying. So I imagine getting getting the AI part right, especially in the drive. Uh, functionality is really important because that's going to affect how well the product works and how it how it actually feels to to wear right yeah i mean when you first wear it it's still going to be comfortable it's more mm. so about making it better it's more tailored to your movements so every time you wear it, it's going to feel a little better but the first time you wear it you're still getting the support you're still getting the power it's more so just like those minute details to make it yours if you will oh cool i'm curious to know if if you have a sense of it what does the like r&d team look like a product like this that's pretty sophisticated must require at least at least a few phds so who do you have hanging out back there oh yeah we have a, a huge team a lot of smart people the way it's sort of segmented is we have like our software team we have the mechanical team we have a team that's called human machine interface so they're mm -hmm. making sure that 
the materials that we pick are going to be comfortable for the user. One of the specific changes that they made in the last iteration was the vest. And so we work really closely with our customers and the users specifically to see like, what else can we do to make this more comfortable? One of the feedbacks that we got was in the summer, the old uh, vest piece was a little bit too thin. And they were saying it was starting to get a little sweaty and hot. So what they did in this last iteration was they made it more of a mesh material, more breathable, and sort of they're helping to redesign those elements of it to make sure that it's comfortable for the user to wear and that their feedback is being heard and being used in each iteration. Got it. So, okay. So I'm interested to talk a little bit about the market for this thing. Before I ask about it, I'll just sort of zoom out and look, you know, we're seeing lots of news articles about figure AI and Tesla coming out with humanoid robots. And, you know, I think it's still sci-fi for a lot of people today, but this stuff is coming. And over the next decade or so, lots of companies that have frontline workers, logistics focused workers, and so on are going to be thinking about, you know, what's their strategy? How do they think about when to, when to buy something, you know, either totally automated or sort of human, human augmented. So that's, that's the macro of change unfolding over the next decade or two or uh, five, who knows, but then zooming back in and sort of coming closer to the ground. How do you see the market for this, this sort of product today? Who's buying it? Who's getting the most ROI from it? Who recognizes the need for it versus doesn't? Yeah, and then, and then maybe we can get a little bit into the, the more far-flung future aspect of this. Sure. So I think right now what you're seeing is there's a lot of pieces of the automated element that haven't been addressed, or if they've been addressed, they're very costly. And so I like to sort of call our device that hybrid automation approach. And I think there's also something to be said about keeping humans in these sort of functions because they bring creativity, they bring flexibility that an automated system might not be able to address. Maybe yet. I'll say, I'll put that <laughs> precursor in there of being able to change on the spot or if there's a fire alarm or something that goes wrong, having humans on the floor bring that intelligence factor, bring the history. I mean, a lot of these older workers that are in there, they know they know the job, they know the work, and they're able to react faster than I think maybe an automated solution can. But certain functions, like palletizing, being able to load things off of a truck and onto a conveyor system, picking and uh, sorting things from shelves, still this today, there's, there's a lot of organizations that we work with that have not found a solution solve those problems and they still have human labor in there and want to address it because they know that this is a huge load that's being put on these people and whether it's an automated solution doesn't exist or an automated solution is just far too expensive i think we're still in that gap where some of the larger organizations yeah they can afford that technology there's still a, a huge chunk um, industries that just have it. I think when it comes to like construction, we work in a lot of logistics, which is obviously where it all got started. But I think you look at warehousing, you look at food manufacturing is a big one. They're having to carry big bags, 50 pound bags of grain or sugar, and they're having to pour those into vats. A lot of times those Materials can be too sensitive for an automated system where they're using claws or something like that. So you need the human element. But then when you also get to the healthcare side of things with 
human people that you're having to lift. Like, I don't necessarily know if I want my grandma being transferred by a robot. Like, I think there's something to be said about the human element in care, too, where it brings less of a fear factor. I think even with some of the tools that exist today with like the hoists and the cranes that have to be brought in to move people around that right there is like whoa I don't know if I want to be like moved around by a crane so it's still having a human element in there but having the ability to augment them and make them stronger and safer right now is where we're seeing like huge success in the future I think something we need to keep in mind how technology is going to evolve when it comes to automated systems if they're starting to address these areas and yeah that's where we need to grow and evolve and, and make sure that we still are connecting with the customers and the users to make sure that we're constantly adapting to be helpful and be useful in those, those elements so who's to say what it's going to look like in 20 30 years but right now i think there's still definitely that need yeah, I was just imagining my grandma responding to someone walking into her room with an exoskeleton on. I think she'd be okay with it. I think that's, yeah, that that's I think not too <laughs> We've not gotten too pretty good reception. I mean, you get, like, you get the initial, like, but once it's explained, it's like, oh, that's a good idea. Yes. So, so how about on the ground today? Like, I'm curious to hear, what does selling this thing look like and, and feel like in practice? I, I imagine there's lots of companies that, this is not a category necessarily, you know, there's not an exoskeleton budget at a lot of companies. Of and so how, who, who, are you, who are you talking to at, at these companies and how are they weighing the business case for whether or not to, to buy one of these things? Yeah. So I think when you look at it, like there's the buyers that usually are at the end of the room, but we see a lot of the influencers coming from health and safety departments, from even like warehouse leads or innovation teams that are looking for these type of technologies, that's usually where the conversation starts. But then it gets to the business level where they're starting to see, okay, not only is this going to help workers, but there's also an ROI component here where if my workers are able to have even just a steady productivity throughout their shift, whereas typically towards the end of a shift, you're getting tired, you're going to be lifting less, your productivity is going to be a little bit lower. There's that productivity gain, too, if you even just have them be stable throughout the shift. Sometimes they're seeing increase in the, that shift productivity. So they're also starting to look at it from that perspective, too, of if I invest in this kind of technology, I'm also going to see some ROI coming from this, whether it be from efficiency or productivity. Maybe I'm getting less workers' comp claims down the line. It's not necessarily thing right now, but it's a conversation of, maybe having lower premiums or reductions or discounts on premiums for having this type of technology. And then there's the human element too. I mean, we, we've talked before about like staffing issues where companies are having a hard time finding people and talent that want to do these jobs. So if you can set yourself apart and say like, we actually take care of our workers and want to keep them safe, I would be more likely to go with a company like that than I would with someone that's not giving me that sort of protection. Got it. And what does, what does the rollout look like? You know, is, is this a, the sort of thing where you sign a deal and you get a exoskeleton for the whole workforce or do people want to sort of it try varies. things out? And I think that's where we have to come in at the beginning too. And because you said like exoskeletons are on the budget, but there's also like, what does this thing do? Where can I put it? So that's where we have to be sort of the consultants and say, mm -hmm. 
All right, let's take a look. A lot of times people will send us a video of the areas that they think they need like help or support in. And we can look at that and say, okay, yep, that's a great use case. We've seen that XYZ. A lot of the things that we look for are lifts that are going either like from shoulder length down to the floor or floor to shoulder length, repetitive lifts, certain uh, weight limits are going to be more in the sweet spot than others. Some are going to be a little bit too light for an active system. So that's really where we start conversation. Where is this going to be a fit within your operation? And then it's deciding, okay, how many people are doing this job? How many shifts do you have? Like I said, the device can be shared amongst different workers. So if you have this one task, but you're, you have three people in different shifts, you might only need one device for that specific use case because they can share it. So it's really about defining the certain use case first before deciding like who needs the device. And there are certain people that are wearing it the entire shift. And there are certain people that are grabbing it more like a tool where, hey, I'm only doing lifting for 45 minutes out of my shift, but it's really heavy lifting. I'm going to go grab exoskeleton, just like I would a forklift or something else, and wear it for that 45 minutes when I'm doing the heavy lifting. And then when I'm doing other maybe lighter work, I'm not wearing it type of thing. So it does vary depending on the use case, the company, and kind of how it outfits. So as, as a data guy, I'm sort of a professional skeptic. And so I'm thinking about if this was being pitched to me, what would I be asking? And one thing that comes to mind is the empirical evidence, right? Like it kind of it intuitively makes sense that you give people this assistive device and they can sort of do better and be more efficient. But has German Bionic been able to do any, any sort of studies or maybe like direct measurement of people with and without these devices that would kind of add color or some numbers to that conclusion? Yeah. So I will say like with this type of industry, one thing that we typically get asked is like, okay, where are the long-term studies? And it's like, okay, well, this industry has only been around for eight, nine years, 10 years. So it's hmm. like the long-term studies aren't there yet, but there are a lot of short-term studies and from a, a, a variety of different companies that are doing this type of work. And you can see like there's different measurements that they're looking at, like heart rate, they're looking at performance, that kind of like the effect on the body and what the exoskeleton is doing with it and without it. So there's plenty of studies that we share from that side. I think where we take it the step further is with our data platform. We're also being able to measure telematic data through the sensors that are on the device. And so that's giving the company certain stats, like how many lifts you make throughout your shift, how many of those lifts were good lifts versus bad lifts, how much weight was compensated for during that shift, how many, how many steps did that person take? So all of that ergonomic data can start to give you insights into, okay, I have this certain group of users, they're wearing the devices during this shift, everything is great, but I'm starting to notice that the steps are like crazy high. Is there, and you can start to infer like, is there a way that I can move things around to make things more efficient where they're having to walk less during the shift? So I think the combination of having those studies, yeah, they're not super long-term just yet, but there's a lot of good detail out there which shows that these things work and they have a positive impact on the body. And then being able to look at it from an organization level that usually is a good indication for companies. And so what we'll do is when we go on site and do like a demo or a trial to see if this actually works in a specific use case, we'll do like a mini report with 
our data to show like, okay, here's what we saw within four hours that this person wore the device and sort of deliver that with some of the studies to mitigate any like questions or hesitations. But we have like physios on staff with us too that can help explain like impact on the body and how it's working in tandem with the body and that kind of stuff. So we always make sure that and the use of function is top of mind. Yeah, when I asked the question, I was actually only thinking about short-term studies because I figured that that would be where you could actually much more directly see the, yeah. the impact versus long-term where it would kind of get mixed in with, you know, is the person eating salad? or Right. Or yeah, it's hard. So, it's hard. It's like, what else do yeah. they do outside of work? And that kind of yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that makes a ton of sense. Okay, so then how about industries? Where are you seeing a fit? Where are you saying that people are ready to implement something like this? It's funny. It's I've actually seen a difference depending on where people are located. So I don't know if this is because we've been around longer in Germany, but in Germany, it's heavy on the logistics, heavy on the logistics. And then once we started launching the healthcare uh, piece of it later or earlier this year, that's also gone huge over there. Over in North America, we've seen more of an attraction from the manufacturing industry, less of the logistics, more of the manufacturing where I mentioned like the food processing, huge one for us over here. Up in Canada has also been really receptive to the technology, almost more so than the U.S. has been. I don't know whether it's a mentality thing about worker protection. We're still kind of trying to dive into why that is, but we've seen a huge sort of influx from that area. In Japan, too, the healthcare side with the aging population, that's definitely more of a pop-up, but there's one sprinkled out throughout. I mean, like I mentioned, the construction airports is another one heavier in Europe where they're having to move baggage. So that's been another one that's been pretty popular over there too. But I think there's a wide variety of industries where we're continuing to see like, oh, I never thought of that one or that type of thing where we're like, okay, let's see if it's a use case because basically anywhere where you're having to do heavy repetitive lifts, it could be a solution for you. So it's interesting to see where the new ones are, are starting to pop up. Those are some of the ones that I would say are the most popular so far. Cool. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear more about the data functionality because we've sort of alluded to it, but maybe not really dedicated time to it uh, exclusively. So the exoskeleton is collecting all sorts of tele- telemetry. What is it collecting and how does the platform, the software platform behind everything kind of put that to use for, for the users? Yeah. So like I mentioned, like a lot of the telemetric data that's collecting is around like movements, like steps, lifts, uh, body movements, whether it's a traditional safe lift versus an ergonomic lift. So there's the productivity element within the data platform that's showing you your usage data, but there's also the safety element of it where it's starting to show you risk areas where you can address those and say, okay, is this an environment issue where okay, maybe it's too tight of a quarter where this person really cannot lift functionally to move, let's say, a box, or is a treating element where we need to go back to basics and figure out. So I think you can look at it from the productivity and the ROA standpoint, but also looking at it from the ergonomic standpoint of a safety and start to address other areas. And what's nice is we're working on a safety vest that includes all of those sensors. Doesn't give you necessarily the support or the power that the exoskeleton does, 
but you can outfit your team with the safety vests and still get the same data that the exoskeleton is delivering. So you can start to get a fuller picture of the operations and say, okay, this is maybe an area that needs additional tools like an exoskeleton, or this area seems to be good, but this area certainly needs to be addressed. And so I think what we're trying to do is just, like I said, always work with the customer to see what data is valuable to them because our team is constantly adding new widgets and modules to the data to analyze based off of what the customers are saying would be helpful. And I think one of the things I'm excited to see is starting to see like what APIs can be built to see, like, okay, you can export this data, but where else can we enter it into smart warehouses? And there's plenty of other data platforms that are being used in operations and how can those work together to deliver more of like a full picture? So that's something that I think they're working on and will be a future thing. But with the data that it's collecting, I'm excited to see like what else can be. Got it. So I'm very interested in the, the interoperability aspect and some of the customization that you actually get asked for as well. And I, I imagine some customers must have very different ideas of what needs to be measured and maybe what would be useful to be measured that maybe adjacent to the core value proposition of a smart exoskeleton, but just happens to be sort of enabled by it because it's this, you know, telemetry measuring device that people are now walking around with, which they weren't before. So I don't know if that, that rings any bells from customer conversations, but th yeah. does that come up to... I will admit, like, I'm less into the conversations just because I'm not on the software team or, like, mm. as customer facing as maybe some of the other teams. But one thing that kind of pops to mind that I think was really a game changer was when they developed the groups aspect of things. So before you could be looking at pins, and, and that's great, but when you can start to create groups, whether it be groups within one warehouse or starting to compare different warehouses to each other, I think that's when it sort of took it to another level where you can sit, you can start to address like, okay, this warehouse, great, but this warehouse is clearly having issues. And you can start to see from the whole company level where things need to be addressed. But from like, I'm trying to think of other examples, but I'm not as honed in yeah. on how some of these things have been optimized. I will say like one of the things they're also working on right now is more of user uh, software capability where the data platform is really meant for the organization. So when we think about development, when we think about the exoskeleton, we're really focused on the user. We want to make sure they're going to be happy wearing it because they're the ones that are wearing it every day. When we think about insights dashboard, that's really about the company level, what they want to see management. But there's also that software element for the users too, when they want to be motivated to wear the device and go home and say, hey, I lifted 270 elephants today to your mm. children like how cool is that and start to be able to win badges or have certain competitions amongst themselves be able to look up training if they forget how to do something or maybe it's not fitting properly i'm going to go back and look at some of those videos to see what the proper technique was so that's something that is being worked on now too from like a user element so i think it's like there's different things that are helpful for different audiences and we always have to keep in mind that there's the user that and the wearer but then there's also the company what we can do to to augment those things and that's a lot of like what i hear about from the software element is they're always trying to make sure that what they're doing fits the right target yeah 
just thinking about how, if I had this data set in front of me, how, how might I approach it? And one question I might ask is if there's a, a higher frequency of, let's see, inefficient movements or dangerous movements or something like that in a particular area of a warehouse or maybe performing a particular task. But I imagine to actually answer that, you need some kind of extra dimension to the data. And it's not just en enough to know that the motion happened, but you have to kind of know yeah, like where. Wh where. Apologies if I'm digging too deep on a to topic you're not as familiar with. No, that's okay. You, I don't think it, we do track that now necessarily like where they are. Maybe yeah. from a like, company level, like when they start to set up groups, they can do that to identify mm -hmm. like, okay, this is the team that is doing the truck offloading. So then they can start to see, okay, this is where we're starting to see reductions, the weight that they're having to lift, that type of thing. But it's not, at least in a smart way, it's not able to recognize like the difference yeah. between palletizing or truck. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, yeah, it sounds like this thing has a lot of potential. So I'm interested to, to see where it goes and you, you have some foresight into the, the product roadmap. So maybe to start with, where do you see the product headed? What's already planned? What do you, what do you think are the sort of big, you know, transformational opportunities in terms of being able to Im improve this thing and add capabilities? Yeah, I mean, just this past year, we launched our sixth generation. So that had a lot of improvements from the fifth one. We talked about the mesh on the vest. We made the vest a lot more comfortable. We moved the battery down to be in a more ergonomic place. We made it a little bit skinnier on the width-wise. We made it a little bit lighter. I think something that's always top of mind is making things lighter, leaner, cheaper is definitely that we hear a lot. So those from like a mechanical, like hardware type of thing, always making it more comfortable for the user, making sure that it's cost-effective. But then from the software side, we talked about there's so much I think they're working on and so much more that can be developed. We talked about APIs. We talked about the user software. So those are things that are in the works. We'll be here probably sooner rather than later. But yeah, those are things that are always top of mind and then always just trying to figure out other use cases. So healthcare was one that from the beginning wasn't really thought about, but it actually came to us from the nurses and the workers that saw this thing was like, hey, this this actually could be a good use for us. So we worked in tandem with a hospital over in Germany to figure out, okay, how would this work in a use case perspective? What do we need to do? Like we need to make some changes to the vest to be a little bit more suitable for the washing and the disinfection they had. So working with different industries like that to be able to figure out like how can we make small tweaks this will be a better fit for you and, and the workers. So yeah, always just trying to improve, figure out like what's next and, and what can we do, even if it's from a smaller perspective, to make a bigger change for the users. Well, yeah, it's a very exciting product. I think that it'll be very interesting to see how you guys continue to develop it. And, you know, I imagine one, one day these things are, are mainstream, which has got to be a good thing for. Yeah, for I would say of, uh, I feel like this will be something that you can rent from a Lowe's or a Home Depot. Like when you're moving, be able to to support yourself just like you would rent any other tool. Yeah. Wait, so have, have you I was going to I was going to wrap up, but I'm curious. Have you explored sort of the, the consumer market for this at all? And actually, can yet. I can I ask what one of these things would would cost if I if I yeah, did go to yeah, Lowe's and then pick one up? So we have two different buying methods. You can buy it outright. That does yeah. range. It ranges based off of how many people buy. 
but anywhere to buy outright is between ten and fifteen thousand. But we also do a leasing program, which sometimes is more attractive, and that can get as low as two hundred and fifty dollars a month per person. So okay. yeah, it's still expensive right now for the commercial use. So on a consumer level, I think we're not there yet. But we certainly see the interest from, I mentioned the moving. So moving companies are investing in this. And we have one that we're working with that's actually distributing it to other moving companies. So I think we're like getting to more of a consumer level, but not not just. Well, $250 a month is, is doable if you got like a home project and feel like it could use a boost. But the, <laughs> but the awareness is probably not there. No, you know? call us, Home Depot, Lowe's. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Any parting thoughts or, you know, suggestions for for people who might be listening in? Yeah. I mean, if you're interested, always reach out. Like I said, we're here to help consult. So if you feel like it could be a fit, send us a video and we'd be happy to discuss the use case and figure out, is this going to be something that's going to help you? Or we can suggest something else that we might have seen on our journey. But yeah, we're always offering a bunch of different videos and insights into what the product can do or little did you know facts on our social media. So if you're interested in learning more, even if it's just a little tidbit here and there, definitely follow us. And always just trying to to educate, really, because I think this is, we've talked about this being very futuristic, I think, still to some people. So the more we can get the word out and educate, the better. So yeah, we want to hear from you. So yeah, for anyone out there thinking of investing in an Apple Vision Pro, consider instead a German bionic exoskeleton. that's it for the show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast app of choice. Once again, the show is brought to you by Endeavor Labs, a data and AI focused consultancy run by yours truly. If you have feedback about the podcast or want to talk data, please reach out Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. Once again, that's Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. I'll see you next time.